The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is entertainment reporter Laura Boyd. We talk about Laura's early life as Bishop Briggs' answer to Shirley Temple before joining STV and eventually becoming the resident entertainment reporter. Laura opens up about how she felt after a shock cancer diagnosis in 2009. And we gossip about the famous faces that she's interviewed over the years. And as always, there's plenty more. This episode is brought to you by debt experts don't fret about debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher, where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. Laura Boyd, your mum always says that you're terrible at saying no to things, so that's worked in my favour. <laughs> Why does she say that about you? Are you terrible at saying no to things? Well, you really have done your research. <laughs> I am. I'm honestly the worst person ever. I think I've got this thing of like, I just want to be involved in stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in this industry as well, you'll know what it's like. You feel like if you say no, somebody yeah. else will step in and take your place. So there's an element of that. There's an element of, I hate this saying, but FOMO, like fear mm-hmm. of missing out thanks to social media. If you're not at an yeah. event, you're like, oh, I want to be there. And then also, I just love, this sounds so cheesy, but I love adventures. Like, I love just being involved in things. So, Have you ever seen that film Yes Man with Jim Carrey? No. So basically the premise is he's like this sort of really despondent, depressed guy and he goes to like a seminar and they, this guru is like, you need to say yes to everything that ever comes into your life and watch and see what happens. And basically it's like, instead of you constantly putting doors or roadblocks, it's like you're opening all sorts of possibilities. And I sometimes think that, I'm like, fuck, what would Jim Carrey do? <laughs> <laughs> As if like, that's how I should, that's how I should live my life. Do you think that like has impacted your work? Because you've done loads of different roles and departments and going for different opportunities. I think so. I think I've never been one to like rest on my laurels. I'm always thinking like, what else can I do? And it, that is to my detriment sometimes mm. because things can become overwhelming. But no, it definitely has because I started off in STV as an assistant editor and I basically went in there not knowing what that was. So I graduated from uni um having had a week's work experience at STV. Hmm. Two weeks later, they phoned me up. They were like, oh, we need an assistant editor. Do you want to do that? And I was like, yes, 
what the hell is that? What, right? is, it, <laughs> what is an assistant editor? Well, basically at that time we made things like Scott Sport and still made Tagger, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, and so I would go in and sit, they'd have the main editor. We would like, we had this kind of old fashioned machine that used to put captions onto programmes. You'd make tea, you'd label <laughs> updates, you would do anything basically. Um, but you learn a bit of the techie stuff as well. And it was such a good grounding, right? And I'd be like, oh, oh yes, I'm an assistant editor when I was out because it sounded good, uh, right? But really, I was like, yeah, it must make, have been quite exciting though. It was so good because when I was a wee girl, I wanted to work in TV, TV or theatre. Like, you know, mm. I just loved performing. And I used to drive past STV and think, oh my God, that's like so exciting, you know? Were you in there when it was at Pacific Key or was it Cowcaddens? Cowcaddens. Right, so okay. I was in like the old school building mm-hmm. at first and I was like really young. I mean, I used to go into work in like, you know, Rara skirts and knee-high socks and <laughs> cowgirl boots and stuff like that. Like I was like, you know, just thought I was living my best life in this TV world and you were just thrust into it and it was so much fun. This might be a pure reach, but do you think so for the, correct me if I'm wrong here, so from the age of seven up to about 15, 16, you sang with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra Choir, you toured with Scottish Opera, you did like musical theatre and that kind of thing. Do you think being in that environment, did that either formulate or sort of form a competitive uh, yeah. not a, a sort of competitive edge or it do you did, think it brought it out in you? I think a bit of both I think like I was always yeah you mentioned my mum there like literally she used to dread me coming home from school because I would run up the path with like another flyer in my hand being like yes mum I'm joining this club today <laughs> you know I was literally like the fear glee club child a nightmare um, but it did there was always that kind of competitive age like oh I wanted to be this part in the school show or you know it mm. wasn't like not in a kind of bratty way I just had this drive inside me where I was like I just want to do this and I was kind of hyper you know and, and did love love being involved in things and when I went into TV that didn't leave me so I was an assistant editor but they were like you know they would have at that time they covered festivals and gigs and stuff and they'd be like oh we need runners to come out I'd be like hello me, take me. <laughs> See, when you're saying about the glee clubs, you're either the drama teacher's dream or nightmare because it's either, oh. oh, there's Laura. <laughs> oh, fuck, there's Laura. <laughs> That's everyday life for me, I think. It's 50 50 as to what you get. Uh, no, my. Actually, I had an amazing singer teach singing teacher. So I went to Thomas Muir High School in Bishop Briggs, and my singing teacher Hilary Dickey, I'm still friends with to this day. Um, I sometimes used to babysit her kids. She put mm. me in for a lot of co- singing competitions. She really took me under her wing, and she knew I was a pain in the arse a lot of the time. But she was amazing. No, it's funny. So you were at Thomas Muir. I went to St Helens. <gasps> Did so you just we would have been just across the road to Aww. each other. And now here we are. I know. Across the table. <laughs> he ready to interrogate you. Oh, no. <laughs> well, see when, so you studied communication and mass media at uni. How do you go to that? Because I would have thought you would have went to like the Royal Conservatoire then based on what you were like as a kid. Well, I did think about doing that. So I wanted to do musical theatre. I was 17, auditioned for a drama school in London. Didn't get in when I was 17, but I had no idea. Like, although as much as kind of, you know, we did music at school and stuff. It was nothing like what an actual kind of drama school would prepare you for. So I had mm-hmm. really no idea what I was doing in that audition. Um, so kind of my fallback actually was doing teaching. Went to Jordan Hill for a year and 
hated it. Like I loved the teaching part and I loved mm. being with the kids, but the theory and stuff, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. And then I looked and this is nothing against teachers. They do an incredible job. But I looked at that lifestyle of being like so structured, everything planned out, you know, mm. Monday to Friday. And I was just like, no, this like creative desire was in me. And mm-hmm. I knew I had always wanted to do something in TV. So then this media course kind of came up and I was like, do you know what? Actually, that'd be quite cool. And I love journalism as well and I loved writing so it combined a lot of that stuff and Were you were you working as an online journalist when you first started at STV or? No, so I moved into that so right. within STV I kind of moved into a few different roles and um, basically like I was there at the start of online journalism mm. that kind of that's how old I am but that, <laughs> uh, that kind of just started when I was there and nobody really had a clue mm. what they were doing but suddenly we were writing articles and a lot of the time I worked in entertainment on there we would churn out total clickbait articles mm. you know just because stuff about that we knew people were going to be interested in like Susan Boyle was massive you could write anything with Susan Boyle in the headline it would have like 150,000 hits within an hour it was just crazy and that was I think it's kind of different now that was like at the height of that real online drawing you in journalism Mm -hmm. now it's so widely available you don't kind of get the numbers like that anymore but it was amazing at the time Did you not get to sing with Susan Boyle? I did get to sing with Susan Boyle What happened there? (laughs) Have you ever seen the video? Oh my god it's horrendous so poor Subo basically uh, I was like I interviewed Susan a lot and she's amazing I love her and I've kind of got to know her quite a bit over the years and stuff so how funny is that like people all over the world love her and you just pals I'm her. just pals at that <laughs> elbow and subo uh, no, it's so so weird but um, do you know she's so nice and she's hilarious and I love she's just like doesn't care you know kind mm. of what she says but she's she's brilliant um, but yeah one day I went to film her doing her rehearsals for her tour and she was singing River Deep Mountain High and I was like oh that's my favourite song and her PA was like get up and sing it with her and I was like don't be daft no way no way and then Susan was like oh come up there's me pretending I'm all shy. Two minutes later, you can see on the video, poor Subo's like bashed off the mic. And I'm like, do I love you? Like really going for it. That'd so. be like, do you remember that clip when uh, that wee guy, Jermaine, was on X Factor and yes. was singing and his mic stopped working and Beyonce just took his? I was, that was my Beyonce moment, <laughs> honestly. It's so bad watching. Oh wait, no, was it, no, it wasn't Beyonce, it was Nicole Shirt singer. And she, oh, that doesn't surprise She me. was her men- Oh. Oh, no, no, oh, no. I don't, no, I, don't, I love mother, her, but... I, I, thought was, I thought you were going to say this. No, I thought there was she's there. got that diva in her, hasn't she? Um, that clip's amazing, because that wee guy's face just pure drops. <laughs> <That's>, honestly. <laughs> and he's trying to win the X Factor. I'm like, mate, you've already got your recording deal. Like, leave it out. I've interviewed him. He's lovely, actually. Have you? Jamie, and her. Jamie and Douglas. Jamie, yeah, That's good recall yeah. for me, I think, because that was years ago. That was years ago. What was Nicole Shirt singer like? Oh, I mean, stunning, like absolutely gorgeous, mad, quite kind of, just as you would expect, Mm. like, you know, another level, but just, I remember just her being so beautiful. We Just while we're speaking about singing then, I should ask you about your singing (laughs) exploits, talk to me about Pooch, you can just tell me whatever you want. Oh my God, you really have done your research. Uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't know these things. This is horrendous. Um, So Pooch was a band back in the day, uh, I had the time of my life in Pooch, honestly. It was the best thing ever. So was it just three of you? Four. Four, so your pal on drums. Pal on drums. Husband Stephen. On guitar. guitar. Bass player Roddy. Uh, 
And we were just like electro punk pop. We wore a lot of mad makeup, capes, glitter. We played. It was honestly the best ones. We played like King Tut's. Played Rock Ness. Uh, Rock Ness, which was so good. Rock Ness was like a proper rock star I, moment. I, I, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it was quite cool. For anybody unfamiliar with Rock Ness, it was a Teen Park, but at Loch Ness. Yeah, yeah. And basically. they had sort of comedy. They had. It was Some wild. Bright, they had Chemical Brothers and all that kind of stuff. It was a big, big festival. Um, so that was just, yeah, I had the time of my life in that band and we weren't very good, but we had fun doing <laughs> it. And we did like, we were on like a TV show and stuff. There was lots of random things um, came out of it. But What was uh, the TV show? Oh gosh, what was it called? It was, oh, I can't even remember. It was... Pure it was, wanted to scream, come on, Malta. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called? It'll come back to me, but it was really, really bad. And we were meant to be the kind of house band and the girl, the lead star, joined it and stuff. It wasn't good, but um, but it was great fun. It was like late night on STV. So you're doing that because that must, obviously, the whole performative side just of your life in general, but doing that must, does that make it easier for you to then go and sit down with some A-lister? Because if you're no phase by getting up on the stage and singing in front of people, surely then sitting down with Elton John isn't going to be that big a deal <laughs> although I think I'd shit myself if I sat down with Elton John one day one day uh, do you know I think there's always a wee bit of nerves no matter who it is because mm. you never know how it's going to go and I think once you completely lose that you could become complacent so mm-hmm. I think you've got to be on your game but on the other hand yeah it definitely does help right because you need a bit of balls to stand up there and just go for it and I kind of think I like to just go in and chat to people like like you're doing now, you know, mm. like you're very, very natural. And I hope that's kind of what I come across like, because that's just, that's the style of interviewing I like to watch. And I think you get the best out of people like that. I think that, because like I've watched, believe it or not, hours of you over the last <laughs> like week or two, basically just getting ready <laughs> and, and getting everything. But that's one thing that definitely comes across with you. It's just sitting down and I think then people really respond well to you. Such as Peter Andrew, who we'll go on to speak about. Okay. Um, but you know, it's it's this way where he's like, "Oh, I'm not being interviewed. I'm just sitting having a chat yeah. with somebody." Do you ever try and be a wee bit surreptitious about that, in, in the sense of trying to tease stuff out of people, but sort of them thinking we're just completely pals? You're allowed to be a wee bit Machiavellian at times, you know. I know, I know. Do you know? I don't think I never got in there with an agenda as such, right? And I'm lucky in that. I work for STV News, so I'm not mm. having to get a scandalous line. Not a scandalous line out of someone, but and newspapers and things really have to push to get an angle. They need yeah. a headline. Whereas we're usually there to to talk about them promoting a TV show or something. It's amazing if you do get a line and you can get, you know, something that nobody else has got, then that's brilliant. And that always is in your mind. But I just think I'm just going to go in here, get what I need out of them, but be really nice and and friendly because I'm interested in mm-hmm. it and then that's usually when you get the best stuff I think Would you ever knock back interviewing somebody or do you need to just go and interview who you're told to? Uh, we kind of need to go and interview mm-hmm. who we're told to and usually there's nobody that I've never wanted to chat to because I think you just find something interesting in, yeah, in every something. conversation and the one thing that people always ask me is oh, who's been horrible who's the worst and and I get that because I would ask someone as well but I've honestly hand on heart and I've interviewed a lot of people I've never had anyone be that bad I feel like that's more I'm sure there are nice people but I feel like that's more of a reflection on you it would be like Volley and an Andrex puppy if you came in like why you wouldn't you just wouldn't you'd be like oh that's totally nice and harmless like why would I be horrible here no I I think it's 
I mean, you get people as well, right, that are are not the best or don't live up to what you think they're going to yeah. be. But then I think, well, what if somebody was interviewing me? Like, you go away and you're like, that lot of boys a bitch. But, you know, like... <laughs> well, I, how can you see my phone? I was sending that, but I didn't think you could see me writing it. <laughs> Is there a mirror behind me? <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, and everybody has a bad day and yeah. everybody has a down day. You can tell if someone's a bit like, oh, can't you, be know, you don't really... Oh, they can't be arsed. If it's a junket, maybe you're the hundredth oh, person I've spoken to. No, a junket is hard work. A That's is. for any of you non-showbiz people. <laughs> That's a press junket when somebody's promoting a film. Plebs out there. <laughs> <laughs> it is literally. If you don't know what a junket is, if you've ever seen Notting Hill, have you seen Notting Hill? Yeah, horse and Hound. A horse and Hound. That is exactly it, right? So you're in a room. They're in a hotel room, and you go in, and you're literally given five minutes to chat to them, and you basically need to get a line of, out of them about the film and try and get something funny or interesting mm. that you can use. Oh my god. I mean, I love my job, but sometimes that is hard work because you feel, I feel it for them. Yeah. I'm like, tell me about your film for the one millionth time, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, But again, do you know what actually helps with that Scottish accent? A lot of the time you walk in and they go, oh, you're Scottish. I was going to ask, you know? was somebody we both know, Jodie McCallum, yes. showbiz reporter. She had something the other day, I think, with Sandra Bullock, uh-huh. like getting her to repeat stuff. It is a pure goldmine. You should, exa- I, I would be exaggerating my accent. <laughs> I'd be talking as if I was like the Highlands. I come from North Glasgow. I'd be giving it like, okay, the noon or that. But they, do, they love that. And uh, what you do though, sometimes as soon as they do that, you do become a bit more Scottish. Is there any American famous person ever went, do you know, um, your name you're like no, no mate can I can I tell you a story uh-huh. I was in sorry I've just asked you the question right but it's just come back <laughs> just to my mind so I need to tell it. it so I was in St Petersburg in Florida right which is in Tampa Bay in like April 2017 and I was like we were out and having this brunch just like we were talking about earlier and I uh, got talking to these two girls from South Carolina and I've actually kept in touch with them they're so nice and one of them was like do you know and I went hold on a minute I'm just going to stop you there. I mean, it's a country of 6.5 million people. <laughs> I've lived in Spain since 2013. So, no, nah, I, I don't know. And they said the name, and it was a guy from Springburn, and I did know him. No! And I was like, fuck what? off. I was like, what? And it turned out that they had met this guy on a cruise in the Bahamas. And I was like, I can't believe that. They were from Charleston. Well, I think Glasgow and Scotland's like that. It's just, I mean, we joke about it with Americans. Everybody does know everyone. And I, plus, I went to Mexico a few years ago. Like, you know, this kind of very quiet, lovely resort. And the guy from like three doors down was there. Not really? not two doors down the <laughs> programme. Literally three doors down the road from like my mum and dad was there. So you always meet someone you know in Scotland. I get, I mean, getting a text as well. Being at my work in Spain. And I get a text for somebody, an Australian girl I know, to say she'd bumped into my pal in work in Sydney. And I was like, I'd lie down. I know. Like, how has this happened? It's too weird. It is too weird. But no, no stars have asked me if I know any any fellow Scots yet. Mm. Maybe. Can you think? So we won't say who was rubbish, right? <laughs> was that one of your questions? That about was. <laughs> that was. Do you know? Well, I was going to say it is predictable, and I thought you wouldn't say it anyway. You would probably say somebody like who would I don't know who would never get back to him. Like, and I don't think Antonio Banderas, like for example, listens to us. <laughs> he might. But, you know, you never know. But okay, is there anybody who didn't live up to it? Who you went in thinking this is going to be amazing, and then they were just crap? <sighs> no, I don't even think there has been. I try not to big it up or build it up too much mm-hmm. in my head when you are going to do it. I mean, I did have a slight incident with One Direction. All right. If you saw that. No. Um, so, yeah, a few years ago when 
asked Louis Tomlinson about having his baby before the baby was born. Mm. And um, I genuinely was just interested about him having a baby. Um, however, it was just, yeah, before he'd kind of really fully confirmed it and it went a bit viral and uh, oh. yes I got a lot of abuse from, Did you? from One Direction fans uh-huh. bloody um, hell and I was terrified I came home like because I'd been at the gig and I didn't like I'm not that type of journalist I wasn't going for an angle I genuinely thought you're going to be a dad that's lovely um, but yeah I came home my phone had died came home from the gig and turned it on and just like Twitter my Twitter was just going oh my like, god constant like you know people like you're so horrible for talking about this and it so it's like, like some nine year old getting put to her bed like. <laughs> I ran through to my husband I was like oh my god I've gone viral and these girls are saying this to me and he's like Laura get a grip they're 14 <laughs> and it, it was just it was horrible that was the first kind of but One Direction fans were like that I mean uh, that was pretty psychotic I don't know what would be the equivalent of that now I know what the equivalent is now have what? you ever heard the, um, Lemmy getting the grief off the BTS fans no so do you know what BTS yes. is so for them that doesn't know BTS are a South Korean group and they're like One Direction on steroids and <laughs> Lemmy was like watch this and he was just tweeting stuff just kind of saying they were shite and stuff and uh, what they did <laughs> so they went through all his old tweets sorry went through all his old tweets and got music in the C word of which is like the most mortal sin on Twitter because they're based yeah. in California and he got his account like suspended and all that seriously Aye, and but like they're so clever with it, like how they do things. Yeah, I was I was amazed. I mean, with you know, within like a few hours, I was all over like bloody I was memes and everything. It was just like it was crazy. But um, yeah, and that wasn't. I was just really excited to chat to Mm -hmm. them and like you know, I did. I love like I think kudos to like One Direction, Little Mix, and all these ones who did actually make a success of X Factor and stuff. Like um, you know, so I was quite excited, and then it just went. Horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm scared of it. Me the fear. Every time I hear a One Direction song, I'm like, oh no. Lim- the thing with Limmy, which is really funny, because I watch like highlights, he's, like, he does his live streams, and what he does is if he talks about BTS, he spends 45 seconds to a minute saying how great they are, and he's such a fan, and he respects him so much, and he's like, seriously, these wee bastards are like lurking, and he's like, I can't have them, like, try to ever do me again. <laughs> so get me. It's true. Um, I have to ask, it is the pure easy questions but I want to just hit names at you and just tell me what they like so Rod Stewart you gave him a Celtic train set he what was he like he was honestly amazing he was absolutely yeah he like exceeded my expectations mm. because people like that that are absolute legends you there is a, a nervousness there because they don't need to be chatting to you they don't really need to promote a gig do you know what I mean like mm. so um, so for him to take the time and he was just so much fun and even like off camera he was showing me his big Celtic like diamond medallion thing he was so proud of it (laughs) and he was just like he was an absolute legend and he was hilarious and he was up for a bit of banter because I was asking him like we were talking about Lewis Capaldi and I was like, you know, you're a man who knows your birds if you get any advice for him and stuff. And then it was, I didn't think I'd know of it. And then like my old boss was like that, who knows your birds or whatever. I mean, only like you could ask that. Um, but but for, was, a, for a Scottish for Scottish news, that's completely... Yeah, I, mean, I, I was only aye. joking. I did get into trouble once for using the word birds. Well, not into trouble, but they were like, you can't say birds. But... Um, yeah, no, you should you should speak more respectfully about I know, women, sorry, please, sorry. Like, I know, we don't I, condo- I'm joking, I, by the way. I'm just taking... I'm just being <laughs> I was, it was actually with Lewis Capaldi that I was joking about that and uh, 
because he would say it like that, you know, Aye. that way. But um, yeah, he, no, Rod was honestly absolutely amazing, and I'm hoping I get to do him again soon. How was Dolly Parton? She couldn't <gasps> see, was, she couldn't see you, but you could see her. Oh, Dolly Parton was like with like 15 minutes where she, yeah, she couldn't see me on Zoom, and I thought this is going to end, and I'm not going to be able to have my Dolly chat. But um, there's a Dolly pun in there somewhere because she couldn't work her she camera. Was, she was Dolly. She really was Dolly. No, she wasn't. She had a techie team doing it for her. Mm. Amazing, just a legend as well. And again, like just when you're chatting to her, you're so down to earth. But you're like, you're someone. She's a total idol of mine. She has done everything. She is amazing. Uh huh. See her version of well, not it was Willie Nelson's crazy. Yeah. Did she sing it? I'm sure she sang it. I know. I might be wrong. She probably has, but she she written so many songs. She well, just here's my favorite fact about her. Uh huh. She wrote. Right, somebody's going to be like, actually, that's she wrote, not true. I will always love you. I will always love you. But she wrote Jolene in the same day. On the same day? In the same, so I, was, I mean, that might be somebody's like exaggerated <laughs> it, right? But it's listen, a good story. I think it is a good story. <laughs> no, she she was lovely. And that was, even though it was just over Zoom, that was an amazing one to get mm. to do. So, yeah. That, was, that would be amazing. No Gallagher, what's he like? Loved him. Right. So I was terrified. I know I love everyone. I'm so sad. Um, I was <laughs> That's terrified. That's saying. Loved him. Nice guy. Misunderstood. He <laughs> <laughs> was having a bad day. Uh, no. Uh, he was I was nervous because that was live mm. again he's one of the ones that you think he could just say anything or just not be interested he can be quite aloof yes so I thought is he going to hate this because obviously this was for at the time STV2 so it was just kind of like a two minute hit quite mm. cheesy like how does it feel to be in Scotland you know all that stuff and um, it was brilliant it was actually really nice and we like before it we were standing chatting for ages and um, it was just really normal and that mm. was one that I came away from and I was like, oh, I'm so glad that went well because I, I love Oasis and mm. I'd like to do Liam. I think that'd be interesting. you never spoke to him no, before? I've never done Liam. That, that could be next Surely you'll get to because he's playing, is it Hamden he's playing? Well, hopefully. That would, yeah. That would, how many interviews does he do? Mm. Not many. Um, but Noel was a total, yeah, that was a scoop. That was a really good one. Who else? Who's like, if, and I'm just going down the pure easy route here, but if I'm interested if somebody says to you, who are the people that you've just like, wow, I can't believe I've just spoken to them? So I did an amazing one um, a good few months ago with Brian Cox. Do you watch Succession? Yes, I have right. started watching it. So I love Succession. He's a total legend. Ah, he is. But this was really weird. So I got, um, I was doing a sit-down interview with him and then the he was up doing a book signing and his book or his publishers asked me if I would host a Q&A and it was quite kind of like you host a Q&A after you've done your interview there'll be you know people have paid to come mm. and see it it was kind of underplayed so I arrive at I think it was the assembly rooms in Edinburgh and I was like well, how many people are coming to this Q&A and they were like 400 <laughs> and I had like no clue and I had never really I've done a lot of like hosting of mm -hmm. events and things but I'd never done something really like well you do that it's like a live interview yeah yeah um, like that so I actually have a live show coming up if anybody wants to come see us oh, on the 12th of June with? it is with her broth FC manager Dick Campbell <laughs> she could, I'm glad Ange Postacoglu has been named manager of the year he does deserve it but Dick was a was a close runner up sorry I had to just jump in to I, punt I can, that there I can imagine he's a close second to Brian Cox but uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but no uh, yeah, how much fun are those kind of events? Am amazing. You're like, it's adrenaline, ah, you're pure on your game, aren't you? When I came off of that, because I thought, I'm just going to have to go for this. I have no idea how it's going to go. Mm. Um, and he was incredible. He was so interesting. People's questions were brilliant. And when I came off, I was like, 
that is one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah, like, it's it was exhilarating. A total high, and for it to go, I think you know, like really well and get really good feedback and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing feeling, and he was so good. That he, uh, he is a proper legend of the game, isn't he? There was something else I was, uh, I was going to ask Brian Cox. This is so professional, isn't it? This is great for people listening. <laughs> But this is it, unfiltered. Rubbing, rubbing his face in a really I know, God, no, there was something I was going to ask. It'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. Well, I mean, we've, we're talking about all these highs and all that, and now I'm going to segue into some horrible lows, but we have to kind of talk about them. Yeah. Se- September 2009, yeah. your life changed. It did, indeed. So um, I'd had a crazy summer. You know, that 2009 was Susan Boyle year. So it was, yeah. Back to bring my friend Subo into it. <laughs> um, so I'd kind of been, I worked online actually at that point. So I'd been following Susan about and doing mm-hmm. those interviews and stuff. And then um, been really run down, covered Tea in the Park, all the festivals and things. And just didn't feel quite right. And um, went to the doctor. They wanted to take blood tests, but they didn't mention anything kind of sinister. They mm-hmm. just thought Crohn's, I don't know, like they wanted to rule stuff out. So I didn't think anything. Um, took the bloods, went back to work. Every time I stood up, felt like I was going to faint. Phoned the doctor and he told me to come back down that night. And um, I went, my mum had moved back in with my mum and dad. I'd been staying in the West End, sold my flat. Uh, no, sorry, I hadn't. I had been staying away for uni, had moved back in mum and dad and was about to move into my flat in the West End. Um, and my mum and dad were on holiday and went into the doctor and he was like, you know, how are you? And I said, oh, you know, don't feel right. And he was like, yes, it's not good news. And I was like, right, okay. And he was like, yeah, it's cancer. And um, What the so, fuck, man? Uh, I didn't, is that not, could his bedside manner not be a I wee know, bit better there? It was not good. And then, so my first instinct was, and I've, I've told this quite a few times, like, I was like, well, am I going to die? And he went, well, we all die, dear. Oh, and not I even slap this guy about, Not man. even in like a kind of, oh, we all die, dear, but it'll be okay. It was Aye. just, we all die, dear. And I was like, well, so that was horrendous like, and that just literally there there was an advert a few years ago I think it was for like cancer research or something and I remember it being so powerful because it was telling people they had cancer and the whole thing kind of went into slow motion and mm-hmm. that is exactly how I felt everything just went I can know, honestly like, I, I know what you mean it was horrible I've obviously never had the news touch wood as bad as that yeah. I've had it along those lines about other people yeah. I know what you mean slow it's, motion uh, and you're like everything goes roasting uh, you just because you, your life does change mm-hmm. and I just thought in that minute I was like this is me I'm going to die you you be, you've described it previously as being hit like a lightning as like being hit with a lightning bolt sorry it, it really was it just because I really didn't expect it I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think anybody expects it but I just thought you just kind of think you're invincible don't mm-hmm. you and like completely I, I was young and I was in my 20s and loving life so it just um, mm. it was horrendous and I'm so close to mum and dad and having to go into the car and phone them Fuck. and being like hysterics like oh and they were stuck you know inside oh, so um, so I had a couple of days without them until they could get mm-hmm. back and it was just the weirdest weirdest time of my life oh man I've got lo- loads of questions that I'm really curious about I, I hope at no point I'm kind of clumsy or anything no, but I no, just I'm, that's the thing nobody I don't know how to talk about it when mm. I'm talking to other people so just go for it there's no right or wrong so, well so for the 
benefit of the listener to understand you're diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia yes known as cml for short now it's extremely rare in people of your age only 50 a year are diagnosed with it in the uk more common in middle-aged and older people yep. now it's a type of leukemia that develops very slowly and doctors had been keeping it under control with drugs mm. but before we kind of get to that point of it kept under control so what is it like five months are you just feeling rough basically feeling yeah, terrible i just felt um, so from diagnosis, like I, I felt horrendous, and I remember like I just I looked awful, just everything. I, I, like because they had to get they had to get the drugs right, so I basically take chemotherapy, but in tablet form, mm-hmm. and they had I had to have a whole other test to determine where it was at, and you God. know what where the cells were and stuff. So I had the, these few months, and I remember it was like September, late September. So obviously. Christmas stuff was starting to come in, mm. you know, it's that kind of early time and I love Christmas and I remember standing in like a queue in a shop and there was all the Christmas cards out and things and I was like, I'm not going to get to see Christmas. I just thought, I thought mm. my life was over. Um, it was horrendous but yeah, what I have to say there is like STV were incredible so as soon as I got that, I phoned my boss who I was really close to and I'm still good friends with and I was just like, I've got cancer. You know, I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. It's like, bloody hell. Um, so they just were like, switch off. Do not even think about work. Don't, you know, you don't have to worry about pay. You like, just you take all oh, the time you great. need. They were so good. So they immediately eliminated that stress, mm-hmm. which I'll be forever grateful for. Um, and I just took kind of five months to get to get back to health. And I remember I had really bad insomnia because I had this weird thing, like everything was off kilter, right? So mm-hmm. like my blood pressure was up, everything was, you know, sky high. And um, so when I tried to get to sleep at night, I could hear my heartbeat in my ear. Mm-hmm. Um and like it's all connected everything was screwed up so um, I had insomnia so I just used to watch Don't Tell the Bride on repeat like on like endless episodes of it because it was the only thing that was like so completely inoffensive Yeah. because anything else like friends or you know like anything else like that might have a touch of cancer in it mm-hmm. or something I just needed something that was completely like yeah. you know I could just zone out to it and I always remember that now I feel a bit weird about watching it because I'm like it reminds me of that time Um but I got through it, like my mum and dad were incredible and I remember one day my mum was like, get in the shower, get dressed, get your makeup on, we're going out. And I was thinking at the time, that's bloody harsh. But <laughs> uh, but actually it was the best thing because as soon as I kind of felt that I looked a bit fresher and I looked mm-hmm. normal again, I felt more normal, which sounds stupid, but I, yeah. I just needed that wee bit of like, my mum was like, ah, she was like, we're going to get through this. Like, we'll take it day by day. You know, mm-hmm. come on, you're not lying down to this. Um, and yeah, I'm really grateful that she did do yeah, that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that she... what I've done. Because you, I've heard you speaking previously about how sometimes or often it's actually families that deal with a diagnosis a lot worse because you said that you feel as if you have a degree of control whereas they are pretty much on the sidelines aren't they just yeah. hoping that things will go right it's horrible for them I think mm-hmm. I mean you you know what it's like if somebody in your family is ill or whatever you do feel you've got no control because they're so separate you know they're going through it they're with the doctors and stuff mm-hmm. like that and I very much felt that I felt terrible for everyone around me yeah. you know and you also feel which I know you shouldn't and I would hate you know any of my family or friends or whatever to feel like that but you do feel a bit like a burden you're you're just yeah. you're suddenly this sick person and you're like oh god you know they need to think about me and things like that it's a very very strange feel as if, sorry. feeling 
She feels if you walk in the room, they're going, shh, she's coming, she's coming, she's coming. Yeah, and I still... Big smiles. Feel, sometimes I still feel like that. Not quite as much now, but there was certainly a time where I used to go out and I used to think people would go, oh, there's, that's that kind of with cancer, mm-hmm. you know, and I have heard it said. But to be fair, I was so open about it and through my job, I did a lot of press and things mm-hmm. about... Because um, my husband always jokes, he's like, oh, bloody articles, TV cancer girl, you know, he's like, oh, here she comes, TV cancer girl. Or my friend Jerry always says, oh, here she is, face of Scottish cancer, you know, I like, I like we've got like a kind of dark sense of humour about it because you have yeah, to. Aye. But um, but that's been, that's been one of the things that's seen me through is like talking about it and mm-hmm. hopefully helping other people. One of my, one of my really close pals, he's just recovered after a proper shocker of it with a few years in dark humour yeah. was how well how me, him and I think made about it anyway yeah. I'm not going to say some of the jokes because people think I'm <laughs> out of order but we found it funny and uh-huh. it, I, I was the first person actually to crack a joke and he's like fuck me I, I needed that you do because uh, it's like there's nothing you can do about it right and it is horrendous so we, like you know we would turn it around I mean sometimes my friends would take it too far and I borrow the blit uh, she needs to go to the front she's got cancer you know and then I'm um, ha- like hammered in the corner uh, you know so um, or, or skipping taxi queues and stuff like that is terrible but we'd always do it in a jokey way and it did make it more mm-hmm. normal and now they're so used to it because yeah. I've still got it 13 years yeah. on and I'll be like oh make me a cup of tea you know and they're like oh, shut <laughs> up you know <laughs> see that's that's what I find hard to get my head around I thought you either had it or you didn't yeah but you can it can be manageable you can live with yeah, it yeah so this type of cancer you certainly can so 13 years on I've still got it it's, mm-hmm. under, it's fully under control um, we don't know if that'll ever change because mm-hmm. um yeah, because a lot of older people have it, they tend to die of natural causes rather yeah. than of it. So we don't mm-hmm. quite know what the future will hold for me. But I'm doing, I'm doing fine just now. Touchwood, I go to hospital every, well, I'm there every month just now. Um, but normally go every three months. That's a bit scary because you're like the night before you're just like, oh, yeah. it's the reality again of it. But um, but yeah, it's just it's just part of my life now. The beatsing mm. is part of my life in a weird way. It's... The beatsing something that people raise money for and mm-hmm. for such a great cause, but also for research. I'm quite interested in what you've said about research and the necessity of it because I sometimes think, and not in a, not in a, I don't think we should give them money away. I'm just like, but where does the money mm-hmm. go for research and stuff? But I recently I just learned that you can build up a tolerance to your medicine. Yeah. You sometimes have to change it, and that is what research goes to. So the money actually is every penny is vital, isn't it? Yeah, it completely is. And I did. There's, I mean, I'm sure there's numerous wards at the Beatson that are funded by cancer research. But I did um, a couple of years on a trial drug, um, and that was funded by cancer research, and also. One of the things like I didn't realise was there's a whole like all the the research that goes into it that's not government funded. Mm. I mean I'm sure there's there's some money, but actually largely largely it comes from public donations and grants mm-hmm. and things like that. So everything that people you know all the stuff that people do like kilt walks and things like that might just seem like a you're mm-hmm. putting on a kilt and walking twenty three miles, but actually every penny really really honestly hand on heart counts to saving lives. Yeah, as far as I'm aware. There's been no government, no change in government legislation or, or what they deem as, as legal in terms of medication since 1987, it's, which it's, is deplorable. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's just, uh, I don't, it's a whole other minefield, mm. I think. And it, for me, it was just kind of 
you know, I always took it at face value. So my, I had this most amazing doctor called Professor Holyoke, Tessa Holyoke. <laughs> and she was like a genius. She was like a leading light in wow. the world of leukaemia research. She, but she was also, she was so scientific, but also had this real human side to mm-hmm. her as well. And, um, you know, she, I, I just, she kind of took me under her wing, but I felt she took, everyone under her wing um, and I kind of like hosted some events and things for her she was just absolutely amazing but at the weekend she was a woman you know a doctor a researcher and at the weekend she was up climbing mountains to raise money for her own lab and you're mm. like that can't be right That's these people right. are we're relying on these people to save lives they need help and funding it she shouldn't be the one having to been out raising the money for it which is she crazy. shouldn't and it's a kind of double-edged sword because on one hand I'm like what an amazing person mm-hmm. that's great please keep doing that on the other mm-hmm. hand you're like well I, as you say you shouldn't have she, to keep doing that and she very tragically she died of cancer a few years ago oh you're joking so she I mean that this this is what kind of shows you like how I mean I know some cancers obviously like smoking increases your risk and things like that but how other people just get it for no rhyme or reason. This was a woman who was so healthy. You know, if anybody knew the things to do to avoid mm-hmm. getting cancer, it was her. And she still, she got she got breast cancer and within, I think, a year and a half, two years max, she was gone. What a loss to the yeah. world. Oh, it was just like absolutely What an absolute loss to the world. There must just be an absolute chasm that's left yeah. when somebody like that. It completely is, and how many lives she touched, and I always felt safe with her there. All the doctors and nurses, mm-hmm. I have to say, the beats in it are incredible. But she was one that you felt really was fighting your corner, yeah. and to lose that was devastating. Not, not that I'm advocating that people just go out and just go absolutely mental and tonto every single day. But do you think is there something in there to say yes. like, here, you need to go and enjoy your life? Oh God, a hundred percent. And I had another friend who I lost to cancer at the start of lockdown, Laura, um, and she had had breast cancer and then it developed into secondary. But we met like on a weird kind of uh, cancer blind date. So, like, her her brother come uh, up to you? Uh-huh. He came up to me at an event and he's like, <laughs> oh, my sister's got cancer. You know, it was kind of weird because I had, had a few drinks. He's like, oh, my sister sisters get cancer can you go and meet her and I was like oh, okay <laughs> uh, so we met see you can as you know <laughs> I know I know I'm like yes uh, so we went to um, Lebowski's and love Lebowski's love it and we met we just had like a cup of tea each I think and then we just hit it off we had so much in common both called Laura both loved singing both loved life and hmm. she would text me sometimes like on a Sunday morning she'd be like oh my god I'm so hungover I feel like a terrible person is this you know am I doing worse to my body and I was like do you know what no like screw everything in moderation like mm-hmm. you know don't go absolutely crazy I have done sometimes but um, and so you should but yeah I think you're just like my mum always says you could go out tomorrow and get hit by a bus right you mm-hmm. need to just live your life and if anything cancer has taught me to do that more than ever and again I think that sometimes sounds a bit cheesy live every day to the full but you really you need to yeah it is cheese, cheesy it is a cliche and stuff mm. but, it, but it's but true but it's true it's, it's so true you, you, you don't know your, your day isn't guaranteed yeah. you know your next day isn't guaranteed so yeah. enjoy the one you've got completely um, just kind of on that as well because you said you don't like you, or you understand sorry that some people don't like the term fight it fight cancer but mm-hmm. you like to fight it in terms of being defiant and be like no I'm going to en- I'm going to enjoy my life you're not yeah. stopping me yeah it's a weird one I mean it's like so many things isn't it like certain people don't like certain terms and mm. I get why because you can't you know like 
Laura fought it to the end. She still yeah. died of it, you know, but that didn't make her any less of a, a fighter to me because she just totally. was like, and she looked into everything that she could do to, to try and kind of, you know, like prolong her life. <laughs> but I think there is something in that because you need to find a strength. And I do believe that a positivity, if you can have that, and I completely get why you would do it and why some people do just lie down and cur- mm-hmm. kind of curl up to it. But, um, you know, I think there's people like very much in the news at the moment, Bill Babe and, and stuff like that, who have done everything they can to make sure mm-hmm. they not only live their life to the full, but they give others going through it and maybe people in the future a chance mm-hmm. to live a better life. Uh, somebody, <clears throat> I feel I should mention him. So as a guy, oh God, I'll go away back to start. There's, I was approached about, um, present a documentary and it was basically about the exploration of why we should decriminalise cannabis yep. for medicinal use for yeah, people suffering with cancer and stuff and I just always like to mention the guy James Austin yeah. um, and his wife Catherine and his daughter Amelia his brother-in-law Stephen Cole who is the one of the producers or like has written a lot of it and stuff and um, I kind of actually don't know where I'm really going other than I just kind of want to mention him yeah no, um, I think you're quite right so he would just to, for anybody that doesn't know James's story, he was diagnosed in in 2016 with stage four glioblastoma. It's the most aggressive form of brain cancer mm-hmm. you can get, and you know, really, really, for want of a better term, it to proper done him in mm-hmm. at the time. And he was told you've got about three to six months, and he started experimenting with cannabis oil, and I think it actually helped to shrink or yeah. at least manage them. Yeah, he was back playing football. Um, he was living his life, you know, he had his gorgeous wee daughter, Amelia, and um, there's a, I think there's a whole load of contributing factors, but one of the main things was it's very expensive. They're spending about £1,200 a month, yeah. and they couldn't guarantee the quality of it each time. Not That's not to the detriment of the people who are helping them get it, but yeah. it's just a tough thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, we were due to film it. Sorry, we're due to film the first segment, which was basically me speaking to him. And he took a real bad turn and then he kind of managed to perk himself up a bit and went and did it, sat for two hours. And I mean, the main thing, I prepared for it for about two weeks. Like every day, that's all I was thinking about. What am I asking? How are we talking about it? What questions? What do I need to know about what's happening? Because, you know, there's a cannabis factory in Dumfries and Galloway. And they're export the government are exporting this. Mm. They're selling it to countries like Canada and I believe Israel, maybe Portugal, countries that, that have decriminalised it. I think even when Bible be, uh, Belt states in America are ahead of you, you're a million light years behind mm. the rest of the world. And um I went like went interviewing him, he, he had this real like dark sense of humour, which was funny. He called it tumour humour. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, it was funny. Like, yeah. Honestly, cut me down to size as well. Like, just honestly, took me down a bit. Multiple pegs. Yeah. I'm sure there's a few people like oh, you've been needing that for a while. <laughs> but he was just hilarious, and I, I was forgetting. And he's kind of talking about it, and he's been very matter of fact, and he's explaining how this woman, Christina Sanchez, in Madrid University, was experimenting in lab rats. I said, oh. Well, that's amazing because lab rats have got very similar DNA to humans. And he's like, are you calling a fucking rat? <laughs> <laughs> that's just the type of yeah, humour this guy had. Uh, he, he was amazing. I was just totally taken in by him. And then I, I, I hope they don't mind me saying this, but there's just a couple of moments of pure vault, like just leaving a bit of dead air there, but just trying to picture it. Just the most vulnerable I've ever seen a human. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of look me in the eye and... 
I, again, I hope I'm not speaking a turn, but I can only say what I felt. And yeah. it was like somebody looked at me saying, please help, please yeah. do something. And the whole time, it was kind of like an out-of-body experience. Because mm-hmm. the whole time I'm like, I'm going to burst into tears. Yeah. I'm going to crumble. And I never. Yeah. I, I don't mind admitting. I cried for about three or four days after it. Because yeah. it had that kind of the severity of, of it hitting me. And um, I mean, the fact you can see the finished trailer is uh, on, like on Instagram and stuff on my Instagram. And you see him talking about saying, he's like, I think it's too late for me, but I hope that in me having this conversation, it may pave the way for somebody else yeah. to have more time with their own daughter. Yeah. And uh, he died about two weeks later. Oh, it's just horrendous, isn't it's it? It's awful. It's, it's, and you're, you know, almost like I knew with my friend Laura as well that you're, you see them like I, I saw Laura actually on the day of lockdown right so that it was the Friday night or whatever at five o'clock or whenever we mm-hmm. went into lockdown and I'd met her that morning with my wee girl and we always used to meet Costa Rob Royston you'll be familiar with yes. that <laughs> uh, we always used to meet <laughs> we always used to meet there for a wee coffee and um, I met her and then she had a cough and stuff and she was really thin she was really slim anyway she was so glam but I was like Oh, I just have this horrible feeling that that's not that's not COVID. That's not mm-hmm. a cold. Yeah. That that's something else. And you just kind of you feel like someone's drifting away from it. It's the it's such a strange feeling, I think. And you just want to help them. It's it's horrendous. And yes, I mean you know that that's why we do need we do need things to be looked at because yeah more lives do need to be saved and they can be saved you like know? Darren McGarvey speaks about in terms of um, politicians he's like they're looking at a what do you call that see a, a desk or a keyboard mm-hmm. and things will flash up and they will turn their attention to what flashes even if they know there are more important things because it's like what are the electorate demanding and I feel like yeah I mean somebody's got to kickstart the conversation and we can all kind of do our own wee bit and I think I I, I do believe I mean, every every major change starts with, you know, one small step, one small action. I'm not saying, I, Sean McDonald, I'm going to change medical legislation <laughs> and save lives. I don't mean that. I mean, we can all play this yeah. this wee part. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, well, we'll start with Peter Andre. <laughs> and I'll go for there. Oh, we've gone, we've gone from, from dark to joy. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, well, no, I know. Subject it was matter. Still, I know, no, I know. I'm, I'm joking. But um, I love Peter Andre, by the way. Nice guy, isn't he? Peter it? Andre was the nicest, nicest man ever. I used to love seeing when him and Katie split up. Is I that what to... you base your body on? <laughs> I, mean, I know. Mysterious, Mysterious girl. girl. Um, make me blush. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, you're interviewing Peter Andre. Yes. And he was fronting the Save Our Skin campaign, which was warning people about skin cancer. And his brother Andrew had it at the time, mm-hmm. later sadly died. And you told him through it that you had leukemia. Yeah. And he was totally stunned. Yeah. I mean, what was. It was just, it was again, it was just a conversation. And because, you know, he was kind of, he'd been speaking about Andrew a lot publicly and stuff. And sometimes I think it's, if, if you met someone, right, in the pub and they told you, oh, you know, my brothers get cancer and stuff like that. If you had a relatable story, mm-hmm. you would say, Yeah, oh, totally. Listen, I know someone going through it or whatever. So, in that kind of interview setting, it like it just felt right. It just felt like a conversation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so why wouldn't I kind, kind of say that? And um, 
But I didn't think it was. I just kind of did it as a, a throwaway comment because I was like, "Oh, you know, what? I've got a number oh, on this face, drug." Huh? And ah, oh, and he he was genuinely shocked, and he um, he wrote about it. He's got like he had a magazine column or whatever. He wrote about it in his magazine column afterwards. He gave me his number, not in a creepy way. <laughs> he gave me his number, and he was like, "Look, you know, anytime I'm in Scotland, I've got a gig. Come, bring your friends, all this kind of thing," and. Um, he was just so so nice, and it was it was so interesting because it was mm. interesting to hear about Andrew and and also to see that human side. Yeah. Every everyone knows someone touched by cancer, so uh, uh, for me, I think we've got to talk about it. Absolutely, you know? and you speaking about it. I mean, do you realise how much of an impact you must have? Because you said through him speaking about it in his column, it helped you. Yeah, and it makes me wonder. Like so many people will will read and listen to you and. Do you, does it ever sort of sink in what a good thing you're doing? Because you could be forgiven for going, listen, it's kind of private. I just, I want to deal with it myself yeah. and not talk about it. But it helps me to talk about like it. I cathartic. think, you know, I find it cathartic and I find it makes it more, not that it's a shameful thing, but it kind of, you know, it, mm. it, it just makes it feel normal. It just yeah. feels like it's just part of my life. It's not my life. I'm not TV cancer girl. I'm TV annoying entertainment reporter with cancer <laughs> on the side. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if it helps people, that is amazing. It certainly yeah. helps me to read about other people going through things or, um, you know, talking about stuff. And I guess we'll maybe come on to that with, the surrogacy thing, which yeah. is, um, you know, is even more <coughs> of a thing that has helped me actually reading about that because that that's fairly rare. So, um, and following, even like, you know, following Instagram pages of people that are going through it and stuff, yeah. it's just, you can learn so much more. And I've made so many friends mm-hmm. through having it, people that, you know, that I probably would never have encountered otherwise. And that's a real positive that I can take from this pretty grim thing. Here's a bit of a mental question. Yes. <laughs> and hear me out. Okay. And I think the answer might be one that people might not expect. Uh-huh. But if I was to be able to say to you, we can go back, mm-hmm. wave a wand and it never happened. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Oh, gosh. Because of all the things that have... All the things that have come positives. from it. I wouldn't... It's scary, right? I mean, yeah, it could completely. kill me, right? By the way, can I just say, I hope nobody's going, what the <laughs> fuck did he just ask her there? I just mean, now, knowing no, the way I, things are now. I, can, I, I completely get what you mean. I mean, obviously, I would I would never want to have cancer, right? Yeah. But it has brought me things in my life that I would never have expected. It's it's made me do things that I would never have done. Mm. Like Even like just silly things like abseiling and stuff. I do have this attitude now where I'm like, you know, Oh, stuff it, I'm just going to do it. Is that say yes to everything, yeah. I guess. Um, but yeah, it's 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 horrendous, but it's brought me some amazing things and amazing people into my life. And mm. and yeah, I've I've got you've got to cling to the positives of it. You, Definitely. you have, you've got to take everything that you can from a really terrible situation. Well, I suppose the biggest positive is your baby daughter Penelope, who yeah. is I would describe her for anybody that's not seen her. <laughs> As a caricature of a cute baby, if you're like, if you said to like, I don't know, Pixar and you went here, make like a baby that can't really be that cute, they'd be like, right, okay, we'll, we'll draw this one. Oh, thank you. She is really cute. Now, I mean, to go f- to the start of that then, so it, the cancer or the medication, they, they were saying it won't affect your fertility, mm-hmm. but in order to have a child, you'd have to come off the medication, which therein lies the problem. She's so like, mm, cancer, the cancer increases. Yeah. So, So, I... 
let's rewind to before cancer, right? And I always, I've just always seen my life with children. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I also, I still love a party to this Same. day, right? So, See, we've got that in common. Uh, you said you don't like to go up the road, neither no, do I. That's my problem. I am so bad, right? Again, it's like if somebody's like, there's a party or let's go and let's do shots, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> still to this day. So I had like, I didn't want to be like early 20s young mum or whatever. But I just always thought I would be a mum at some point. Um, You know, have my career and then, you know, whatever. And then suddenly when I was diagnosed with cancer, that obviously, that was another question asked. I was like, am I going to die? Am I going to lose my hair? You know, will I be able to have children? That's probably the most, three most common questions I'm imagining for most women, certainly, Mm -hmm. and men probably. Um, But... They said, right, you know, it shouldn't affect your fertility, but, you know, we'll think about it further down the line. We need to get you stable and then we can try and bring you off your drugs. So um, eventually, so get get it under control, live my life, back to partying, etc. And then all my friends start and have kids and things. And I was like, oh, do you know what? I actually really like to. So we look into it with Professor Hollyoak, the, mm. the woman I mentioned before, um, brought me off my drugs and... I was just carrying on, like thinking like, oh, we'll keep going and see what happens and stuff. And then I don't know if it was maybe about five or six months into it. I was going to hospital every few weeks at that point. And they were just like, yeah, the cancer's increased quite rapidly. So you need to go back on your drugs and stop trying for a baby. And I was like, what? And that just kind of hit me out of the blue. And they were like, yeah, um, just now it's too, it's not safe. Mm. And that was like, because already I felt like cancer had taken this chunk of my life, right? Because it had come into my life. And then I just felt like, oh my God, it's like going to take my chance away of being a mum as well. And that that was probably like my rock bottom moment. Mm. I really like, I really struggled for, for a good few days to kind of get over that. I just felt like... It's a direct challenge to your uh-huh. how you perceive yourself my or see life, yourself, uh-huh. isn't it? My life has totally changed in that minute. And then I remember going, well... I don't care, I'm, I'm going to keep going, you know, and all this stuff. And the doctor was like, that's when I knew it was serious because as much as she was amazing and she's a human being and stuff like that, she was very like, you know, she would be straight to the point. And then she started to well up and she went, don't make me cry. And I was like, oh God, I've never seen her cry. And she was like, look, I've had, she went, I had someone who got to six, was pregnant, got to six months and we had to decide whether we saved their life or the baby's life. Oh. And she was like, I can't, I can't watch you do that. Um, mm. So that was kind of it for me. And like my mom and dad and Stephen and stuff were like, we're not, you're, you're not doing this just now. And I think the more people said, you're not doing that, the more I was like, it's my life, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that. How dare you? But then, you know, like we did kind of, I had to accept it. And then um, that's when... Yes, thankfully. Jane steps forward. Jane stepped forward, yeah. So she just literally just come to you and say, did she, your sister not offer, but you're like, no, because you've not had your yeah, kids so yet? Yeah, my sister, when I was first diagnosed, I mean, surrogacy to me was something that um, I'd heard of, like I'd read in the papers about largely gay couples doing, like gay mm-hmm. guys doing, um, American celebrities and stuff like that. So it wasn't something that I ever thought was like... <laughs> yeah an actual thing that normal people do. And um, when I was first diagnosed, my sister said to me, you know, if if ever you need a surrogate, I could be a surrogate for you. And I was like, don't be daft, you know. And then, um, and uh, yeah, at that point, she, like, she, well, she still doesn't have a family yet, but, you know, that's, um, so I didn't want, I would mm-hmm. never hurt, want her to do that until she has her own kids. Um, 
But again, I think at that point it wasn't really, even when they told me that I couldn't have children, I, I was just so devastated that didn't really come into the equation. But no, Jane, my sister-in-law, asked to come round and she was like, look, I've been thinking about this. I've got my two boys. I'd love to do this for you. And I was like, what? That's you know? just <laughs> mental, isn't it, when you actually think about it? It is like, I don't know, for some reason, I was really thinking about it last night. Even it just, I think it was like, put my wee girl to bed. And I was like, for somebody to do that is just like out of this world. I'm struck. Honestly, the only, the only bigger thing I could think of is somebody giving up their life yeah because it's, because it's, it's, okay let's just say she's air quotes here giving up her life for nine yeah, months or whatever yeah. but to, to to do that and to to bring another life into the world for you like it's just she must really like you <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing thanks uh, no she's just like the most she sounds amazing she is absolutely incredible and do you know the weirdest the weirdest thing is that it never felt weird mm. Um you know, like, maybe to other people, because it was a wee bit weird for my husband to be like, yes, my sister's carrying my baby. Well, that's like, you, you have said before <laughs> that his pals, I, <laughs> his pals kind of made a joke in his lap a minute. So your sister is the mum of, of your uh, uh-huh. Which, I mean, like, you know, think about it in a hundred years' time when someone's doing, like, the family tree if they come across that. They're like, wow. Fuck <laughs> no what's way. happening there. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> no, we have to explain. She is... Biologically ours, so yeah. she was. It was my egg and Stephen's sperm put together, and then Jane was like the oven. That is just mental. So she, so she carried it. So she's like Phoebe Buffet. She was Phoebe Buffet. Ah, uh-huh. um, and it was just like it was the most amazing experience mm-hmm. ever. See this. See when you're saying about a hundred years from now, somebody tracing their lineage. <laughs> it's just made me think of minding friends when. Chandler and Monica are going to adopt a kid yeah. and Chandler meets the kid in the hall and he's like oh hi we're just here to find out about how you're adopted and the wee boy's like I'm adopted what? I, I know that, that is exactly <laughs> it'll be something along those lines or uh-huh. something like what the hell has actually happened to you? I um, will be but we'll always tell Penelope mm. from when she's like I think probably leave like, that one a few years a few years <laughs> where is she? <laughs> two and a half right tell her when she's four <laughs> tell think, her on her first day at primary I school by the way, in case it comes up and somebody Googles it, but you will have to because I have spoken about it, so uh-huh. it could come up. But when she's, no, like her, because Jane has two wee boys, so they're like 10 and 7 or whatever. And they're, <laughs> kids, kids are amazing because they just know. They're just like, yeah. you know, Auntie Laura's tummy was too sick, so mummy carried Penelope. They think nothing Simplify of it. Simplify something. She's just like, they're mm-hmm. annoying wee cousin, you know, and I hope that's, the way Penelope I think she will she will she's sassy she'll just play oh this is cool I don't know why this has just sprung to mind with my pals she just saying about kids and telling them stuff and maybe not fully understanding my pal was formerly a prison officer and they I think his wife got called up to the school and being like, we just want to make sure everything's all right and stuff. And they're like, what is it? And they said, well, the wee one's been saying that your husband's constantly in and out of jail. And she's oh, like, no, no. He, he works in Berlin. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? I know. Like, and that's what? like simplifying things. Going, yeah, yeah, my dad's in jail. Like, no, he works in jail. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to have to really explain this one. But um, no, it'll be, it'll be interesting. We write, like, I've got a wee book and everything about yeah. her journey mm-hmm. and stuff that I'll give her. But um, that's amazing. Yeah, that and that has been like one of the most amazing things that. I've been able to share with other people and like I've had messages on Instagram for people from people that have got cancer, girls mm-hmm. that have got cancer who are maybe looking to go through it now. I was just speaking to a girl the other night that, you know, by opening it up and making surrogacy more normal, then it might give people 
hope if they didn't mm-hmm. ever have a family, they might be like, oh, actually, we could do that. We could go down that road and I can, you know, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing way I, to do it. I don't think it's amazing. I think it's it really is incredibly selfless of you to, to speak about it so candidly to me. Like, because I don't know, maybe speaking to a, a young guy who doesn't have any kids as well, it's, there is a slight disconnect. Yeah. Although I have to say, right, so... And this, I actually can't believe I'm about to admit this, but this will kind of illustrate the point. So it wasn't too easy, was it, to begin with? Like you thought it would just be a case of unfreeze the eggs. Oh, yeah. That'll be thing made, but it, it kind of panned out differently, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it took quite a few goals and things to, to get it right. And actually, Penelope was our last hope. She mm. was our, our last chance. Um, and I really thought it wasn't going to happen. So I just kind of resigned myself to this horrible fact. So when she did, you know, when it did turn out to be right or did turn out so, to be a success. And actually, for the first few months, and I guess, like, I think probably every new parent goes through this but really in fact basically until she was in our arms I found it really hard Mm -hmm. to kind of fully believe that it was actually going to happen and there's a whole load of legal stuff involved in it as well and it's not an easy process but it's an amazing one So the admission I was going to make was I listened to you this morning on uh, is it the big C and me? You mean the big C You mean the big C sorry Yeah, is a podcast people discussing cancer and sort of different scenarios and situations and stuff and you I was heavily invested in it and I listened to the whole episode and I was r- passing KFC and Springburn Road and when you said that Jane's come to the house and she's produced a positive pregnancy test I ended up bursting into tears <gasps> did you? because I was so I don't know I was so into it and I, I don't know I could just hear it in your voice and I was like and then I was kind of like <laughs> I put on like fucking Snoop Dogg or a something singer after. tower worker please I, I, I know, I, make it extra spicy mate and then come out here for a scrap as well if you don't mind I need to try and get my testosterone levels back up a wee bit here too much estrogen it's alright to be emotional I know I think it is but yeah. no I was totally like I, I just I don't know I just felt it it was it was amazing because, as I say, I really didn't think it had worked. And then, actually, we were due to phone Jane. And Stephen came through and he was like, right, well, we phone her, you know, because we'd had disappointment before and stuff. So um, when he came through the door went, and it was Jane there, and he's like, Jane, Jane's, like, outside the door. And then she just had, like, this... I mean, it was, like, a total mm. moment from friends or something. She just had this pregnancy test in her hand. And I was like, oh, my God! I still got it, which is kind of gross. But I know, I was about to say. <laughs> but you got to hold on to these things. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just like, just absolutely incredible. And I have to say, we never barred about like one or two comments on social media, which were kind of really from... Shitbags. Rel- there are some religions who don't agree with us. Really? There are some countries where it's still Seriously? illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, so and do you know what Each everyone's entitled to their opinion each to their own but I think it's kind of a weird thing in fact I kind of there was a Scottish guy I actually had a wee bit of an argument with on Twitter about it um, and he kind of came round in the end but, but there's lots of people who believe that because if you can't carry a child then it's not God's will and all that so, stuff so but see, see that logic how ridiculous is that it's like well, it's not God's will you're like well God gave us the the ability, the, the ability and the intelligence to be able to do these things. So yeah, why don't you so. fuck up, mate? Nobody cares. You, you should have jumped in on Twitter. I would have if I saw it. <laughs> Next time. Uh, just just text me. I love that like, shot. <laughs> <laughs> Help. Get my, I'll crack the knuckles and I'm ready to tweet this guy. <laughs> Tell him what I think of him. <laughs> um, by the way, 
now ages ago. No, sorry, we've we've just not right. I've remembered the question I was going to ask that I couldn't remember, but I'll leave it because it's quite inappropriate to just jump to that after talking <laughs> okay. about the most emotional thing that's ever happened in your life. See, when that did happen, mm-hmm. and when she was born, Penelope was born, did you just have this new lease of life? Like, this is it. Like, you know, I've got what I've been after, and now I can I can really go in and... Not that you weren't enjoying life, but yeah. it, it kind of released you a wee bit. It was just, it was just different. I kind of felt complete, mm-hmm. which you know might sound a bit soppy no, totally but there's I just had this wee person like I remember actually the night she was born so Jane and I were both allowed to stay in and um, Jane was obviously like knocked out snoring quite <laughs> rightly so like she like, like she had earned it uh, like next to me and um, I could just see because they put them in this like wee glass crib thing mm-hmm. and um like it was kind of dark, but I could just see these huge eyes like staring at me. And I was like, oh, hi. You know, like, oh, it's us now. It was, it was like a movie moment. I was like, this is weird. This yeah. person just like, hello. Um, and so uh, she's like, every day is honestly, genuinely amazing. She is so full of sass. She is hilarious. Um, and uh, I just, it's the best thing in the world ever. And um, I'm so lucky in that, you know, my mum and dad and Stephen's mum and dad are heavily involved as well. Mm-hmm. And like, so the, the whole family loves her and I still get to do my job and, yeah. you know, enjoy myself as well. But yeah, I'd say like my life is in a really good place at the moment. It's touch, not, touch that, uh, yeah. <laughs> not that I want to kind of make you feel older in it, but the older you get, time just goes by mm-hmm. in the blink of an eye, didn't it? Before you know it, like you'll be up getting shots together. <laughs> at some at some brunch an ABBA brunch if you get anything oh to do with it oh my god I would love that I love going out with my mum um, I like going out with my mum she's good at, quite good at getting on it ah uh, my mum was on the Tequila Rose on Friday was she? night and platform uh-huh. she was she nice. was enjoying it with us but um, no I hope I hope we do have that kind of relationship because mm-hmm. I think that's important I mean I'm sure she'll absolutely cringe I mean I think now sometimes when she sees, sees me on TV she's already a bit like that what <laughs> Apart from the piece I was on with llamas the other week and she thought it was the best thing ever. She's <laughs> like, Mommy and llamas, well. But uh, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of that. It's going to be quite embarrassing for her, mm. isn't it, when I'm on TV? She, no, she'll be loving it. I'm sure she'll be loving it. The question I was going to ask, right, was pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you prepare for your interviews? Oh, I should question. ask you that. Well, you've done a lot of very good research for yours I would say so research is key isn't mm-hmm. it um, yeah, know who you're talking to know who you're talking to and the best interviews are when I think you're really prepared but you you know you also have an interest in the person yeah totally um, and like as I say like the Brian Cox one's an example because I read I read his book another one actually was Bobby Gillespie from Primal Screen yeah, yeah. Um, and I took him back to Springburn obviously you and I are from not that far away from there so we had a bit of kind of insider knowledge but that's where he was from Has he never uh-huh, knew that? Yeah. Uh-huh. In fact I'll tell you a funny story so I'd, I'd read his book and it was so it's really worth you would love it I think mm. like it's really a really really good read Um but I took him back to Springburn we were wandering about and uh, this guy came up to him and he's like alright Bobby remember me I can't remember oh remember me Popeye <laughs> right? and Bobby Gillespie's like oh Aye, uh, maybe he's like, I'll read your book, big man. It was like a pure <laughs> stereotypical kind of Glaswegian guy called Popeye. Always like, Popeye. No, oh, Popeye, Bobby Popeye if no you're clue. listening, I love you, mate. I kept it in the interview, actually. Did you? It was, oh, it was so funny. But that one, I had read the book, I was so interested in, and it was, it was a really nice, like, mm-hmm. good interview because 
I felt really comfortable yeah. in the subject and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel like it was something where I was like, I knew exactly the next question I was going to ask. Yeah. And actually, my friend is a makeup artist and she'd been doing Bobby next. He was going to the BBC and she said to him, oh, what are you doing this morning? And he was like, oh, I was doing an interview with this girl from SCV. And he's like, it was great. She, she didn't even have any questions written down or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's so nice to hear because... Yeah. It was just the way it happened. It was I, I probably had them on my mm-hmm. phone, but actually, he was just so chatty. It was it was great. That's the ultimate endorsement. But I think if if you know if the one of the conversations flowing mm-hmm. like one thing, I, I don't hate it. But if I'm listening to somebody being interviewed that I'm interested in, they could say like a whole load of things. You're like, he's just gave you loads of questions, but the person's more intent on going question one, question two, yeah. question three. Yeah, and it's like so that's a Q and A then. Yeah, have a conversation with somebody. You need, you need to be able to go. Oh, actually, they're taking it down this path, mm. or, or there's a good point. I mean, don't get me wrong. You, you cannot prepare for everything, especially on a red carpet. Do you know how many times people get thrown in front of you and you're like, I have no idea who you are. Yes, yeah, Or, or, you know. A lot of them from maybe like reality shows look kind of the same. Mm. <laughs> You're like, Aye. oh, which one are you in again? Um, See, I'd so, only be good for Towie for 2010 <laughs> up to 2015. Yeah, See, I've after lost that, it now. I, was like, I know, I know. After like, uh, you know, the Mark Wright, Lydia Bright, you know, no, okay, like, but there are there are red, definitely red carpet things, and mm-hmm. especially like, because actually sometimes the people you don't know are the most interesting, but you have your generic bank of questions like, oh, and are you excited about the night? And will you be partying afterwards? You know, it's like all what that. What Uh huh. Exactly all that stuff. I would love to do. do you, did you ever watch? Um, you know, Paul Kay, the comedian. He did Dennis Penis, mm-hmm. where he just took the piss. I would love to do something would like you? that. Ah, oh, <laughs> it would be amazing because I can be an absolute tsunami of antagonism if I need to be. You I think should, I could bang people could up. You could do it honestly. Like it, it needs. It does need more of that actually. Because mm. I've not seen anyone like that on the red carpet for See, a while. Aye. Well, if Sam anybody, Thompson does it a wee bit. Is that the guy that was in Made in Chelsea? Yes. Because he was doing it a wee bit at the Baftas, I think, wasn't mm. he? But not. Well, if anybody at STV's listening, I'm, I'm available <laughs> yeah. to go and bam people up on red carpets. <laughs> I'll put in a good word for you. I'll get my get, job. I know, I'll be getting dragged away like ankles trailer or like heels trailer on the floor. <laughs> Um, what was the fuck? Was, oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Interviews, speaking to people, mm-hmm. new media. You're doing a podcast with everybody's favourite person and previous blethered guest, Arte Joshi. We are indeed, we are, and we've not uh, we've not released this yet, so we're just working on it just now. But um, it's with the big light, isn't it's it? It's with the big light, it is indeed. Fiona, Fiona White's got a gun against my head. <laughs> <laughs> and a bit of paper saying speak a bit out, out. <laughs> we are uh, yes we are kind of um, in talks at the moment for a podcast called Out Out and uh, just chatting to people about everything that we love and going out Artie mm. and I have spent many nights at um, Artie's club night called Pretty Ugly yeah. which was good like name, oh, it was such a good name and such a good night because I love nights where nobody cares right you and I go to a lot of events and stuff like that. It's a wee bit like, you know... In case anybody's wondering, we get invited and it's free. <laughs> Not that you would know what that's like. <clears throat> I'm only kidding, by the way. There'll be, I know, there'll be I know, peop- I know, I know like, but there'll what? be people tuning in to listen to you who don't know me and they'll be like... <laughs> He's a fucking dickhead. <laughs> I'm only kidding on. He's not joking. You should have heard him before this. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. But um, the, yeah, this, sorry, this night is just like, nobody cares what you're wearing. Yeah. They don't care... What age you are, you know, what you're into or whatever like that. And the music was amazing. <laughs> There's so, a bunch of 14-year-olds like, here, they don't care about age, you're just talking <laughs> <up." laughs> about... over 18, but you could be 80. But um, it was just like, 
it, it happened once a month, month in Glasgow and it was just the best fun. And we thought, we had so many hilarious stories from that, like friends getting locked in cupboards and there was a lot of like people in bands, so a lot of people you would know that would go to that night just because really? it was like, it was just like a safe space. Aye. Like Nobody cared and nobody, it wasn't like anyone was going to be like, oh, can I get your picture and things? It was just great fun. Um, and so we thought actually it'd be really fun to talk to people about their best night out, their mm-hmm. worst night out, because I love those stories. Yeah. And everyone, I think especially in Scotland, everyone's got amazing stories. Do you know, you must find that doing this. Oh, absolutely. There's uh, some of the best stories you can't even include. Well, I know, exactly. Occasionally people tell you a story and go, I but you need to cut that out. And I'm like, what the fuck? Just don't <laughs> tell me then. That's just annoying. Well, what's your, what has been your best night out? Oh, or one, well, one I need of, to keep that for my podcast. We'll tell You're you what. that one. People will listen to this and they'll be like, I don't know if I want to listen. I mean, <laughs> she's all right, but I see enough of her on STV. Give them a exactly. teaser. Pull them in. Uh, Just a tiny wee glimpse. Uh, right, I'm not going to give away who this was with, but I have been on a night out with one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, You've that- been out with the Proclaimers? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you too. Uh, I love Craig and Charlie. Um, no, I have. This is a good few years ago, and right. I, yeah, so went on a night out in Glasgow with one of the biggest bands in the world, and it was genuinely like one of the best nights of my life. Ah, went sure. into work in STV the next day in the same clothes. Like you know, we didn't go to bed. It was. It was amazing. And probably like after a few tequila roses, that story. In fact, that story does always come out because when this band's music comes on, which inevitably happens when you're out, I'm always like, oh my God, wait till you hear about this. So yeah, so I'm sure that'll come out in the podcast. I'm sure you and Status Quo had a great night when you saw it in the town. <laughs> what age do you think <laughs> no, You need to tell me once we're off though because I, I need to know I what it is. Um, I It does sound good. You said Paul Black on, another previous Blether guest. Oh, I love Paul Black. Everybody I loves mean, Paul, don't he they? Is, he's just amazing. He's so much fun. I really hope we see more of him on like TV and stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, I think I'd he's, say so. He's so, so good, yeah. He's, um, yep, a leading light. He is a leading light. And speaking of leading lights, that is exactly what you've been in this interview. I've absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. No, it's been so lovely and... Um, from one interviewer to another you're pretty talented oh thank you very much I'm alright <laughs> she says that as I'm like holding a baseball bat behind my neck <laughs> see it to you I told you to see it oh I need you to do me a favour what need to do it. I get grief to do wee promo videos okay. I always forget so we oh, need to come up with a, a wee one liner oh. I know I'm not really good at them you know for somebody who absolutely loves attention as much as me, <laughs> yeah, I actually recoil when I need to get put on the spot to do it. <laughs> what do you normally say? Well, I've only done one. Oh, okay. And I just, I, I was with Tam Cowan and he kind of took the reins and just made me laugh, which was fine. Oh no, I can't do that, the pressure. We'll come up with something. Right, we'll say okay. something about how, actually no, this should be my final question. Okay. How do I finally topple Sean Batty as the nation's number one Sean? Because Sean, <laughs> Sean Connery is no longer, so. <laughs> uh, are you any good at reading the weather? Not really. And he's a, he's a housewife's favourite. He's a housewife's favourite. He does have good biceps as well. Does he? Uh-huh. So you better work out some oh, more. Oh, fuck. Right, I better go to the gym. I've still got time. No, no. No, it's just been, it's been amazing. So thank you so much. Thank for, you for having me. And thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Blethered soon. Cheers.
Blethered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, Natural Wonders, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.